Well, this is, uh, this is November, it's Thanksgiving month, and uh, we have dedicated the entire month of giving thanks every Sunday morning. I'm in a little series on Give Thanks. We started that last Sunday, and during the invitation, you brought your thanks to God down here on a piece of paper. Remember doing that? And here we have them all over the place. I tell you what, I thought it'd be pretty cool maybe to, to read just one or two of these. I, I'm just going to pull some out randomly, and here's one right here I'll pull out of. I don't know what it is. Um, thanks for healing me uh, and healing my eye. That's a good That's a note of thanks right there. Thanks for healing. That's awesome right there. Somebody wrote that last week. I'm going to pull another one out here. Pull this one out. Just things that you wrote down. I'm, this is a two-folder. Two and I've read a few of these, and uh, not these that I just pulled out, but I've read a few of them. And these two that this person wrote down, are probably the, the two most that were written down. Uh, thankful for family. Who's thankful for their family? Yeah. Fantastic. And salvation. I mean, dude, that's what it's about right there, you know. Thank, let, me, let me just pull out one more, okay? Uh, we'll read this one, and then I'll, I'll get going. And, well, isn't that something? You know what this person was thankful for? Not, not preacher. That's a good one, Miss Angie. For veterans. Isn't that awesome? Well, you know what? And you know, we, we should be thankful because today is Veteran Day, is it not? And I don't know about you, but I, I cannot thank our veterans enough for their service to our country. Uh, both those who have served previously and those who are defending us right now by serving. So if you are a veteran, if you've served in the past in any branch of our military, or if you are serving right now either in law enforcement or in military, would you stand so that we can recognize you? We would love to do that. Would you just stand? We have people all over, down low, up high, some standing for others who couldn't be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In fact, let me just pause right now and uh, be thankful to God for the protection that we have over our country. Lord Jesus, I, I love you, and I'm so thankful to be a Christian, a citizen of the kingdom of God. But Lord, I'm also thankful for my country. Thank you, dear Lord, that I had the privilege of being raised in America, the, the land and the home of the free. And Lord, I, I don't take my, my freedom for granted. I am so thankful for the many men and women who, through dedication and loyalty, have uh, given their lives and their service to our country. Thank you, dear Lord, for all of our veterans uh, past and those who are currently serving in all military branches. Lord, I pray a hand of protection over them. And dear Lord, for those who have served previously, let them know today that we are so grateful and so thankful. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Well, I really am thankful for so many things today, and uh, I don't know how this is going to go, but uh, I'm just going to do a quick little time out and say to the camera, uh, this is for second service. Uh, you are hearing second service. You are hearing the sermon that uh, I preached in the first service, and here's the reason why. Uh, my daughter Whitney is uh, pregnant, of course. She's about to have her first baby and our first grandchild. Uh, for the past nine months, all that Whitney has told Angie and I is this. Mom, Dad, make sure you have your bag packed 
because when I go to the hospital, you're going you're gonna to come and be with me, all right? She, and you got to know Whitney. She wants her mama. She wants her mama there when she has this baby. Well, it's not actually due until this, this coming week on Thursday, uh, but you know what? Whitney went into labor this morning at, uh, at, at 4 o'clock. Yeah, at 4 o'clock she went to the hospital, and uh, I mean, the, the process has begun. So uh, here's the, my plan. I'm preaching this sermon, and then uh, second service, it's not that, you know, I don't love you as much as I love the first service, but I'm going to hit the road, okay? Uh, I have an obligation. I wanted to meet both obligations today, and so, uh, you know... Thank God for technology, all right, that we can play this the second service. So anyway, be praying for Whitney. Hopefully uh, before this day's over with, Miss Ella Jane is going to be with us, and uh, maybe we can make it there before she's actually born. All right, on to my sermon for today, all right? Uh, I'm going to give thanks to God. We're going to go from grumbling to gratitude, right, from grumbling to gratitude, Church, I have, I have been a senior pastor for over 35 years, so well over half of my life has been in the pastorate. And, and I believe that I know a thing or two about grumbling and complaining. And, and listen, it's not that people come and grumble and complain to me. No, what I'm talking about this morning is the problem with my own heart. And the fact that, you know what, sometimes in my own spirit, I tend to grumble and complain. I I don't know why I do it, because I really don't want to, but sometimes I just wake up in a foul mood. Or sometimes during the course of a day, something that can happen that, you know, just kind of sets me off, and all of a sudden, I am not happy with anything or anyone. Oh, am I the only one who has this problem? Well, I didn't think so, because I've spent enough time... No, I'm not going to say that. I think we all have this problem. In fact, just the other day I found this poem that I think relates to uh, this attitude of grumbling. It was actually written way back in 1892, 126 years ago, by Ella Wilcox. And, and here's a, I'm not a poet reader, but I'll do the best I can. It's a great little poem. There was a boy named Grumbletone who ran away to sea. I'm sick of things on land, he said, as sick as I can be. A life upon the bounding wave will suit a lad like me. The seething ocean billows failed to stimulate his mirth, for he did not like the vessel nor the dizzy rolling birth. And he thought the sea was almost as unpleasant as the earth. He wandered into foreign lands. He saw each wondrous sight, but nothing that he heard or saw seemed just exactly right. And so he journeyed on and on, still seeking for delight. He talked with kings and ladies fair. He dined in courts, they say, but always found the people dull and longed to get away, to search for that mysterious land where he would like to stay. He wandered over all the world. His hair grew as white as snow. He reached that final bourne at last where all of us must go, but never found the land he sought, 
The reason you would know? The reason was that north or south, where'er his steps were bent, on land or sea, in court or hall, he found but discontent. For he took his disposition with him wherever he went. Let that sink in just for a second, all right? Here's the problem. We are imperfect people, every one of us. And we live with other imperfect people in a terribly imperfect world. So how in the world can we maintain a healthy disposition under such horrible circumstances? Well, the answer is by cultivating a healthy, vital, daily relationship with our perfect heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, let me tell you, this is a spiritual issue. And I think a good place for us to start and see it illustrated is in Psalm 61. So let me read Psalm 61 to you today. It's eight verses. I'll read all eight of them. And here's the, here's the thing about it. It doesn't use the word thanks or thanksgiving, but really it's about gratitude. It's about going from grumbling to gratitude. And here's what David said. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed... Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years as many generations, he shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may persevere and preserve him. So I will sing praise to you. I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. And may the Lord add his blessings to the reading and and now the preaching of his word. In the very first verse of this passage, David, the writer, had a whole lot to complain about. Why? Well, it was because, number one, he was being oppressed. He began in verse 1 by saying, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. So David was facing something really rough in his life. He, He had some powerful opposition. I don't know exactly what it was, but I do know that David was feeling overwhelmed. What was the problem? Well, we really don't know. But we might get some clues by reading the very next words that he spoke, in which he said, from the end of the earth, I will cry out to you. This indicates, many scholars suggest, that David was not in Jerusalem when he wrote this. So where was he? Under what horrible circumstances did he find himself? Well, we can just wonder about that. And I've come up with three possible suggestions. First of all, perhaps it could have been when David himself was running from King Saul, being chased by the army of Israel, living on the lamb in fear for his life, 
facing the brutal elements of the wilderness, encompassed by a thousand foes trying to kill him. One scenario. Or it might have been written when he was King David, leading his armies out on the battlefield, enraged in some horrible battle. Perhaps the war wasn't going very well. And so David is overwhelmed and he's crying out to God. Or it might have been, and I think it probably was, when King David was an older man. And now he was running from his very own son, Absalom, who had usurped the kingdom under him and attacked him and was trying to track down his father to kill him. We really don't know why David wrote this psalm, but wherever it was, David was on the run. He was overwhelmed by opposition. He went on to say in the very next passage, when my heart is overwhelmed. I don't does anyone in here feel that way today? Maybe you have in the past. Huh? Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Is someone here today facing pressures and problems in life that just seem to overwhelm you? And it could be a multitude of things. It could be financial distress. It could be physical problems. Perhaps domestic problems in your own home with your own family. It could be job related. And you know what? The list could go on and on and on. What do we do? I mean, what is there to do when the pressures of life seem to crush us and we are overwhelmed? Well, I think we do what David did. When we are oppressed, we need to realize that God has enclosed us. And that's point number two, being enclosed. David visualized himself enclosed with the protective, providential hand and grace of Almighty God. And in his mind, this took on four different elements or four different pictures. He uses four different mind pictures to describe what God means to him during times of distress and opposition. And so I'd like to paint those four pictures with you with this suggestion that you adopt at least one of these <laughs> in your own mind so that when life becomes overwhelming to you, you can, like David, go to this picture and realize, you know what? God has me enclosed and God has everything taken care of. Here's the first one He compares God to a rock. Look at verse number 2. When I am overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. The picture here seems to be a rock, perhaps out in the ocean. And here is a man who is overwhelmed with the waves. They are crashing against him. The waters are going over his head, and he is sinking his feet can no longer touch the ground. And so he needs to be lifted up on something that is higher than the waves that are crashing down on him. He needs something that is large and sturdy and strong and high enough that is going to shelter him and protect him. Is there such a place? David says there is. It's a rock. <laughs> And really what he is doing, he is comparing that rock to his God. 
His God is his rock of safety. So can you envision that? Can, can you see this rock out in the ocean and the waves are crashing against you and out of desperation you climb on top of that rock and there you are above the crashing waves. You got that picture? David immediately goes into another image. In verse number 3 he says, For you have been a shelter to me. You have been a strong tower from the enemy. The image here is of a shelter, one that is high, one that is enclosed in a tower. And I think you understand that back in Bible times, a sturdy tower built into the city wall was just about the safest place you could be in a city, especially if an enemy has come against your city and they're trying to get into the city. The safest place to be is in the tower. And is there such a place for us? David says, yes, there is. God is that strong tower. In fact, the book of Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. So can you see that picture? Maybe you've got that one in your mind. Can you visualize that tower And can you relate to that? When you're overwhelmed with life's problems, you just need to go up into that strong tower and God is going to shelter you. Verse number four, he gives the third image. He says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. Well, the tabernacle represents the dwelling place of God himself. We know in the Old Testament, God abided in the tabernacle. God's presence was in the tabernacle. I think in a modern sense we can, we can see this or picture this with our own church. Picture a church house. When you come to church, what do you come to do? Well, you come to worship God. You, you come to praise God. And, and even though God is present everywhere, we think of him being in this place. We come to this place for safety for refuge. And David is saying, I know, God, that you dwell in your tabernacle. And I know that if I go to the tabernacle, I can find safety there. There's a fourth picture in verse 4b. Here's what it says. I will trust in the shelter of your, of your, of your wings. Really? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that seems a little bit odd to me. That we're talking about wings now? I mean, the descriptions he's given previously, I can relate to. He's talking about a rock, climbing on a rock. I can relate to that. What about a tower? Getting up into a tower for safety. Yes, I can see that. Or perhaps even the tabernacle of God for safety. But going from rocks to towers to tabernacles, then to feathers? <laughs> what safety is there in feathers. But you know what? This is one of the Bible's favorite pictures to show us the protection of Almighty God. So let's think about this for a moment. This is one of the Bible promises that comforted and encouraged CIM missionaries who were trapped behind the bamboo curtain following the communist takeover of mainland China. They found this verse and many other verses that talked about the feathering covering of God or the wings of God that protect us. 
For example, Psalms 91.4. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. Psalm 17.8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. And then a thousand years later, David's great descendant, Jesus of Nazareth, spoke these words to the people of Jerusalem. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together, your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. So again, these verses were adopted by these CIM missionaries behind the the bamboo curtain of communism. But instead of talking about the bamboo curtain of communism, they began talking about the feather curtain of God. Hmm. You see, when we are opposed by the fiery darts of the devil, we need to realize that at that very moment, we are enclosed within the feather curtain of our God. His wings are protecting us. Occasionally, I have the privilege to talk to people who know this truth. That They are deeply disturbed about personal difficulties. Their world has crashed and it's falling apart around them. But they testify that through it all, they have this inner peace. A peace that passes all understanding. They have an inner strength that God is their refuge. And that God is going to take care of them And lead them even through this crisis. That the Lord is going to cause all of these things to work together for good. Now how in the world can you do that when your world is falling apart? Well you do that by hiding under the feather curtain of God. (laughs) Recently I read about a man whose name is William Cushing. He was born in 1823 and he, he labored for 20 years as a Christian preacher and pastor in New York. But in 1870, William's wife passed away and his own health began to break and fall apart. Even though he was only 47 years of age, he suffered a paralysis that affected not only his body but his voice. And it made it almost impossible for him to speak, much less preach. This spun out of control and he went into great depression. And so finally one day he cried out to God, oh Lord, give me something that I can do for you. (laughs) And it was just a short time after that that he he realized that, that he could write hymns. And God started giving him hymns. And he wrote hundreds of hymns. In fact, he touched more lives and souls through the hymns that he wrote than he would have ever been able to do just by preaching. One of his most famous hymns is on this theme. Here's what it says. Under his wings I am safely abiding. Though the night deepens and the tempest are wild, still I can trust him. I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me 
and I am his child. Under his wings, yes, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. Well, hallelujah. And so the man who wrote Psalm 61 was oppressed. But in the midst of his oppression, he also knew he was enclosed by these feather wings of God. And as a result, we can say a third thing about this man from Psalm 61. He was also composed. (laughs) Just look how he ends the psalm in verse 5. For you, O God, you have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. I can say this, there is a huge difference from the beginning of Psalm 61 to the ending of this psalm. At the beginning, he was complaining. He was grumbling. But now at the end, he is praising God. He's giving gratitude to God. He is grateful. And this is a valuable psalm because I think it tells us something of the sequence that characterizes our pattern of thinking, or at least how we should be thinking as believers. You see, church, the Bible doesn't indicate that we are going to have this instant, great, victorious, triumphant, sanctified, glorified, heavenly thought, and our emotions are automatically going to be glorious out of some crises or tragedy that we have. It doesn't work that way. When we talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding, we don't mean that that is something that's going to fire down from heaven to earth like this missile, and instantly when we receive this bad news, this tragic news, when we are oppressed, that instantly we're going to be joyful and thankful. Because we know it doesn't work that way, does it? At least it hasn't for me. No, no. Inner composure and inner strength comes as we work through our difficulties. We first find ourselves oppressed by hard situations in life. But then we deliberately remind ourselves that whatever happens to us, you know what? We are enclosed with the gracious hand of God and His grace. Our omnipotent God is with us. In good days and in bad days, we go to his word and we visualize this protective shelter that almighty God is to us. We remember that he is a rock higher than we are. We remember that he is a tower and we can go into that tower and find safety. We remember that we can abide with him in his tabernacle and yes, under his wings, and that knowledge, that knowledge, that that mind understanding received and mixed with faith is what composes our spirits and helps us plow through life. 
And people who master this process, people who understand this and, and can work their way through this, well, somehow they, they just seem to have the ability to stay thankful in a complaining world. And they are a joy to be around. That's what I want to be. I want to be grateful and thankful in a world that is constantly complaining. Because you know what? When you're that way, you're going to be a light for Jesus. And you're going to be able to testify of his goodness. For how in the world can anyone complain when we're safely sheltered under the feather curtain of Almighty God? 